Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Priceless Podcast. This podcast is made in partnership with the European Forum of LGBT Christian Groups. My name is, if you haven't heard it until now, is Michael Sechen, and I'm the podcast host. My guest today comes... Well, I don't actually know uh, what I should say where she comes from. She's from Myanmar, but she lives in Sweden. Uh, now, for the last one and a half years, if I got that right, she worked with different major organizations, like some of the organizations that you might know is uh, UNHCR and UNICEF. Uh, she has been awarded Australian Awards Fellowship for MSM and TG advoca Advocacy and Regional Networking. But why should I say all these things? I will let her Tell them yours, uh, herself about herself. Hello, Yaya, and welcome to the Priceless Podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Yaya? Hi, Miguel. Thank you very much for inviting me to be part of this. My name is Yaya, and then I am originally from Myanmar, and then I am identified as a trans woman, and then uh, presently I have been resettled to Sweden uh, exactly 20 months ago, and then um, I am, um, well, in my life I've been working with different international organizations and local civil society organization, and very recently I'm known as a transgender activist, yes. Nice. So you're working as a transgender activist even now when you're in Sweden? Well, right now I have uh, been in Sweden trying to reset, uh, settle myself. And then I started working uh, in the beginning of this year in an international organization called Plan International uh, for about six months in the thematic and policy unit. Presently, I am working as a program manager for IFSL, the Swedish Federation uh, for LGBT people here in Sweden. And I'm also learning the language. Yeah. And from time to time, I work as a, a freelance interpreter. Yes. So I have to ask you, how difficult is it for you to learn Swedish? Um, well, uh, I am learning it, but then it, uh, I speak different dialects in my culture, but the thing is that, um, you know, Swedish is a kind of Germanic language, so it is yes. very difficult for me to produce air from my chest <laughs> and then to pronounce it. It is still difficult and it's quite a challenge for me. Yes. So you're not just learning a language, but it sounds like you're also having singing lessons. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about, you also have a faith background. So what is, what is your faith background? Because as much as I know, you also grew up within the Christian faith. Uh, so I would say I'm a traditional Christian because uh, my parents were Christian also. Uh, but then uh, my mother uh, was very religious. And then uh, 
we were brought up also in an environment where Christianity is kind of like very, the surrounding is a lot of Christian people and then in this environment. So, and I have been going to church when I was young and then also even when I moved to a different place, I am not very far from the church. Well, until one day I decided to become a different person. And these days I really do not go to church, but that does not mean that my faith in Christ and in God goes away. But the thing is that I just do not want to associate with many people at the church who have different opinions and I just don't want to you know have a negative opinion on them I just don't want to make a compelling um, opinion about how people see me when I go to church which can create you know my mind to be far away from what I should be as a Christian yeah mm. Mm. so Growing up in this surrounding, in a Christian surrounding, but also in Myanmar, how was it for you growing up and realizing that, you know, you identify as a different gender than the gender that was assigned to you at birth? So uh, just to let you know, I am not transitioning before I was 29. So my young self, when I grow up, I was known as the gender I was born with. I was very much effeminate, but then still I was in a church. I participated in different activities and then um, not many people, I could not get a chance to make a lot of friends at Sunday school or in other activities like in choir or things like that. But the thing is that I still could be part of the community and then I am still being part of the you know congregation that I have been in. So when I was young, my parent, especially my mother, would send me to Sunday school where I would be able to go and learn more about God and then uh, be friends um, with other people. And then when I grew up, when I could go by myself, then I will continue to go so that I will be part of the church. And later on, I would join sometime, uh, you know, my father going to church. And then, yeah, this is what I would do when I was young. And it is not very much different because I was still in, you know, in a form where people would accept me because I was born with it and then they would accept me. And this would continue until I moved to the capital city after my high school where I went for further study. And I did not have any problems being effeminate growing up in, you know, 
a close community um, until then, I would say. So the thing is that I do not have much friends when I uh, was in a different town. And then I would just be a church goer by being in the church, but not participating in any of the activities. I would just go there just to attend the worship service and come back. Yeah. I heard in another interview that you did with uh, Oliver, who was also on my uh, on this podcast as a guest, on his interview with him, uh, you, as much as I remember, you said something that you thought of your that you actually didn't see yourself as a boy until you started school. Do I remember this right? Yes, exactly, because I thought that I was a girl when I was born, you know. But the thing is that later on, um, when things change, because if you are too effeminate, if you are too sissy in our culture, we will be left out. This is my concern. It is the reason why I have to, you know, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to be criticized. I'm not ready to be left out in the community. And it's the reason why I decided not to reveal who I have been and then to live a life that would have been expected in the community. Mm. Yeah, exactly. How was that? I mean, I guess it wasn't a moment, but how was this for you to come to school and then at once you realize that others see you differently than you, than you experience and see yourself? I think it will be like when I was seven or eight, you know, when I was at school, maybe at third or fourth grade, and then um, I would be sex sissy to I would be effeminate. And then there are others who are more effeminate than me. And then I have seen how they've been treated, I mean, by the teachers and by the classmates as well. So what came into my mind is that if I came out at that time, I would become those victims as well. I would also be treated in such a way so that I would not get the respect that I deserve. I would not have friends. I would be left out and then I would just be like a person being pushed away, something like that. So this is what makes me think that how would I behave? You know, so even though my mind is different things, I try to behave differently when I was young. And another thing is that my father has been a, a respected person in the community. And then um, what I am doing could affect his reputation in a way. So this is also another concern that I have since I was young and because I was the only son of the family then something a kind of legacy that I would have to carry was with me at that time. Mm. What message did the church give to you concerning your identity? I felt that it is not the church it is the people 
in the church. You see? So what I've been thinking and just now that you raise this question, because I've never thought about it, but I, I have that in mind for some times already. We are all equal, you know, before God. But the thing is, we're not equal in front of men. A lot of people are doing a lot like the same bad things. They would think that they are, you know, what they are, the bad things that they are doing is not that bad. But then if the minority or if only a few people are doing or behaving something differently from them, they will think that this is a huge crime. You know, this is what human beings tend to think about. For example, in churches, there will be people who disrespect elderly person. There will be people who steal. There will be people who kind of like do not respect their parents or uh, treat them in a different way. But then this is happening to most of the people and then they will not think that this is something bad. But then behaving differently from what you were born with will be a huge crime because it is not, it is not what they are expecting. So this is something, well, the, the message that I have received from the church, I guess. And the other thing is that as long as you are useful, the people in the church will see you differently. For example, if you can help with the funeral, if you can help with cleaning or washing dishes after a church event, people will remember you at that time. People will notice you, but then if you are not useful to them, they will think otherwise. That's actually quite sad, <laughs> in a way, what you, what you just said, but I, I agree. <laughs> but it is the truth. It yes. is the truth that most of us are facing, and we have to talk about this. We cannot run away from this because it is the truth, and it is still happening. Yes. No matter what. Yes, I, I think it's very important that we talk about these things. So thank you for mentioning this. Being in this environment where you couldn't be yourself, actually you were scared of being bullied, of being excluded from friends, from the people that surrounded you. What marks, what were did that leave on you? What consequences did that have for you? It is difficult to say because it teaches me a lot. And then it also, in a way, inspired me to be who I am. And then, you know, to live my life, to be more independent so that I will not face this kind of thing. So right now, if I have to say, I am away from the church. It does not mean that, as I had said earlier, that I do not have, you know, belief in God. But the thing is that 
I just do not want to mingle or associate myself with people who would make me a sinner more than I am now. Like everybody is sinners, but if I go to church and then if somebody sees me differently, if somebody treats me differently, I will confront that person. That is not good for me in a way. So I just want to avoid all the troubles of confrontation that I would have with these people. So I stay by myself. Because, and another thing is that because I am now accepting myself in a different gender, if I go to church in a different costume, they will see me differently and I could become a clown for them or something to gossip about after the church. And this could become their sins too. Coming from this place of, you know, where you were afraid of being excluded and then to this place where you say, it's enough, I am who I am, I accepted myself, you know, take my truth or leave it. How, how did you get to this place? How was your process of getting to this place where, are you, where you are today? Well, this transition period, I would say, is quite a long time. And then, uh, you know, um, when I was in my early 20s, I thought that like, uh, if I become a woman, if I, you know, behave like a woman, I will be seen as a clown, like I said. And then I have seen some of the makeup artists who are like women and then who got disrespected by uh, the community around, who makes them, who makes funny of their looks and then who kind of like have different comments about them on the social media. So this is like in the, what I have noticed. And then I don't want to be like them. Even though I became one of them, I do not want to be like them in the beginning because I was afraid of what would come from the society. And then uh, I was thinking that, well, I, at least if I like men, I could be a gay, right? So I, um, I consider myself a gay and then um, I try to be manly as much as I could. After working for several years and then I moved to Thailand and then again to work. And then I was there for about four or five years, I learned a lot. And then I become like a cross-dresser because I like to be wearing like a woman. I feel more confident in wearing like a woman. So I, I thought that like, well, I could sometimes wear like a woman and be a woman, but then I'm always a woman inside myself. I became brave, more braver, and I, I would say, and then I, when I came home, things are also improving. Back in 2012, 2013, in my country, 
there has been human rights training and there has been organization of civil society, something like uh, uh, MSM group, like transgender and MSM together, these kind of things are happening. So at that time, to me, who have been working in abroad um, for quite some time, swearing like a woman is not an issue. I do not think that this could be a problem at all. And then I could accept myself. But then it is quite difficult to entirely change. What happened is that in one occasion where I was supposed to be working as an interpreter for Burmese and English. I was asked to wear completely a typical Burmese attire, men attire. And in that meeting, I was supposed to understand both language, but I could not understand any of them within this attire. It turned out so bad and I realized that I was not myself so that all my ability were lost under this stress and then I could not perform what I should be doing. So I decided to start wearing like a woman. And then starting from that, I became confident, you know, and then I also could do a lot of things with makeup on, with dresses, and with colorful, you know, clothing. And what happened in this transition, I will have to thank someone from my office. And at that time, uh, she was working as a communication personnel. And then she was originally from New Zealand but resides in Australia, but now she passed away. And then she kind of like empowered me to be who I am and give me her clothing, tell me to be who I am. Just be fashionable. You can be fashionable. You can do whatever you want. Try to wear this, try to wear that, put on this accessory. And I have to thank her. From that time on, I decided to become a woman and express myself as a woman, not only in my head, but also in the eyes of others. Well, thank you for telling this story of this person who was there for you. I think that most of us have this experience of meeting someone who were very crucial at some points of our lives. So I think this is a good place to thank them all, to thank all these people who are just there for other people and empower us to be who we are. That's amazing. Tell me a little bit about your parents. How did your, how do your parents accept you as a woman? And yeah, what was what is your relationship to your parents today? I was brought up by my parents and then I lived with them until like 
16, 17 years before I moved to the capital for my further study. And then my father, when I was young, my father has been very supported. I wanted to wear like a woman. I wanted to have a high heel shoes and he would all kind of like bought me. And my mother would not have any problem with that as well. I, you know, it's, it's about the society you live in. It's about the acceptance of the society rather than your parents. Whatever you are, whoever you are, your parents will love you no matter what. But the thing is that they are concerned they are worried that you will be treated in a different way. You will be treated badly in the society so that they are making you, you know, in a way the society would accept and treat you well. This is in my context. I do not know about other parents, but my parents are this type of parents. So I do not have much problem growing up. Uh, being sissy, being effeminate, you know. And then um, when I was 20, my father passed away. So my father did not know that I would have transitioned like a full grown-up woman. But my mother saw this. And then what happened to her is she still accept me. She still understands me when she was alive. But I guess that like the society that she lives in, her siblings, her relatives would not have fully understood me the way she did. And she was in between and quite pressured by the society because of who I have become. But she never mentioned about that to me. And then I would say that I live quite an independent life from my parents. But since I was young, I understand that they exactly knew what I would have become one day. It would have been very difficult, I think, for my mother who have seen me transition and no matter what I have become still she would have expected me to live get married with the women and you know live alive and take after my father away she I have expected that I don't know but then what she expected me to be yeah well, but I did not have any regrets over that because I also am very happy that I could live my life the way I wanted. And I feel supported of my mother in a different way. Even though I did not come out to her, you know, telling her who I am, but then from afar, she knew what, have changed me and how things have been with me. We did not really talk about coming out, but she saw me change in her eyes, which she did not really talk or 
mentioned in any of our conversation. Yeah. Mm. Well, let me first express I'm sorry for your loss. I hear that you lost both parents. I lost uh, my father and I know the pain is there. <laughs> However long the time goes on and I'm glad that you have also very fond memories of your parents. I think that this is always a treasure that we can carry with us, having nice memories of our parents too. What is the situation for LGBTIQ plus people in Myanmar? Well, Myanmar has a different context, I guess. Even though it has been um, a British colony in the past. So we have uh, the draconian laws that prohibits same-sex conducts and, you know, other things. And what makes things worse is that we have the military rules for most of the time since the 1948 independence. Not only uh, the colonial era laws, but also the additional provisions in the penal code make things very difficult for the LGBT people. This is legally saying. Culturally, Myanmar is quite a tolerant society to, I would say, transgender person. If you are a transgender woman and you are seen with a man together, then the Myanmar society will recognize you as a man and women. So the thing is that as long as they are seeing men and women, I would say heteronormative mindset is a kind of something that is well invested among the society. They could accept you and to an extent. But then if there are two gay men or two lesbian women, it would be very difficult for the society to accept this union, you know? So this is the context in Myanmar. We cannot uh, legally marry. Same-sex conduct is punishable by law up to a life sentence in our country. If you are not doing anything, it is fine. But if you are doing something that is crossing the authority's eyes, then you could be taken any time based on these legal provisions. Again, in our country, after the military coup in 1962, the ruling military junta have added some provisions in the penal code in order to populate the Burmese uh, kind of uh, the Burmese people. Because of this provision, it appears that you do not own your body. Right now, we are talking about my body my rights in our country when it comes to. So the law said the, the provision in the penal codes, I guess if I'm not uh, wrong, it will be like 
section 312 and following uh, the, the subsections. So uh, the provision would mention that if you have done something to your reproductive organs, you could be taken and be imprisoned up to three years. So relatively, the state owns your reproductive organs and you do not own your body. We have these consequences and it is the reason why it is very difficult to perform gender reassignment treatments in our country too. And then um, because uh, human rights is not a word we talked about before, two before 2010, uh, yeah. So people do not know what kind of their rights are, they do not know. And it is very far away that they will understand the rights of other people. But then I think that from 2012 and onward, things have changed a lot. And then a lot of, you know, civil society um, becomes developed. And then uh, a lot of international organizations working in the spheres of human rights so that we learn more about and the community is also enlightened about their rights as well as to respect the rights of others. So there has been understanding on the LGBT people and things have changed. And there are also some Christian institutions that would take into account of learning gender and diversity and inclusion. They are quite open to it, to my understanding. I mean, there are still, you know, hardliners. There are still people who still think that what they do is their right and then what other people are doing is not right, something like that, you know? Yeah. Is that the situation that you described, the laws and everything, is that the reason that you left Myanmar or is there anything else, something else that happened at a certain point where you had to leave Myanmar? Uh, well, the situation is a general situation and everybody is facing that. And then it is not the reason that I left my country. So in 2021, there was a military coup. And following the military coup, most of the activists were arrested. Those who have been, you know, um, kind of like voiced a lot of human rights issues. And then most people who were involved with the activities in elections or other civil society activities would have been targeted. Some of my friends got arrested and then some of them have, you know, um, have been targeted as well. And then I was afraid that things would turn to me and then I have decided to leave. Yes. Yes. Now you live in Sweden. So what do you, what change or what things that are different than in Myanmar do you celebrate? And what are the challenges of life in Sweden? Uh, let me talk about the positive things here in Sweden. The first thing is about gender recognition. When I arrived here, I was recognized in the gender, which I would like to be. And second, 
I could change the name I would like to have. And then this is not a possibility in my country. And I do not know how long it would take in order to change it. And secondly, there is a uh, legal protection for non-discrimination on different grounds. You cannot discriminate people on several grounds. And this is here. I mean, there is like legal protection as such, which is not happening in our country. And thirdly, you have the rights to legally marry the person you want, no matter who you are. And it is also a positive thing, which is not in our country. Everything that I come across are very systematic. In a way, I would say that things are set up in an easier way so that if you speak English, read English well, and then navigate the modern technology well, then life is not very difficult for you in Sweden because the systems are well set up and established. But then let me go to the negative things, which are like, I am far away from my friends. Yeah. And then it is quite difficult to make friends here. And sometimes loneliness is quite a challenge for somebody me, like me to restart and try to settle in a different land. And of course the weather is, but then these are not the end of the world, you know? They can be mitigated in different ways. Yeah. So everywhere there are bad, good and bad things. But then what really we need to think is that how are you going to deal with it? And what are the things that is in your control or beyond your control? Yeah. What are your hopes for the future? For you, for Myanmar? <laughs> well, I, you know, I have been very ambitious in my life. And then I'm always planning in the past because I wanted to live a good life. I wanted to, you know, have settled well. And I've been planning and planning in my life. And what happened to me very recently is that I understood, I came to understand that there are a lot of things that goes beyond my control. For example, I was planning to be, to retire at the age of 43 with my calculations and with the work that I've been doing, I was thinking that, okay, at the age of 43, I would be able to retire from the work that I'm doing and I will have safe, I would be living quite a comfortable life in my country with this economic uh, development rates. But then it didn't go like this. When things went beyond your control, I had to leave everything and then start a new life 
in a different place. So I kind of like have lost a bit of trust in myself, even though I've been ambitious and then I could not plan. But then what I could do is to live the present moment happily and then to do my best. Very recently, I have troubles performing the work that I should be doing. I am not myself. And then I have to take the help from a mental health counselor. And then I have to try to settle my mind and try to, you know, build up myself so that I can contribute and perform well in my work. This is not very easy. But then what I'm hoping is I will overcome this in a short time. Yeah, it's not really short. It's been almost like two years and I've been still going in and out of this circle. But then what I'm hopeful is that I will have the confidence that I used to have. I will do my best and then be hopeful that one day I will see my country as a democratic country. And then there are so many ethnic groups in our country who is really wanting to have a federal democratic state, you know? So I also wanted to see that. But then what I long most is to see people with only one human rights standard. I don't want to see people or leaders with two or three human rights standards, by which I mean they will think that if this is their right, it is also the right of other people, no matter what background, what ethnicity, what gender identity or sexual orientation they have. This is what I hope in the future things would happen in my country. But then I think we will have to fight for that because these things, you know, are never come free. You have to pay a price for that. And then, of course, I will do my best to fight for that too. Yeah. Thank you, dear Yaya, for taking this time, for sharing your story. Thank you, dear viewers and listeners, for being with us. This podcast is made in partnership with the European Forum of LGBT Christian Groups. You can also support this podcast uh, because this podcast lives and goes on because of some people who help continue this podcast. So see you next time. Bye, everyone. And bye, Aya. Bye.